0: And we don't consider our youth as being part of the public sphere, really. They're they're not seen as that. This is not to say that they, you know, again, youth should be part of our public sphere. They should be part of the conversation. They have as much as anybody else reason to be part of deciding how our world should be. I want to make that very clear.
1: Today, Obama thinks we are suffering from an empathy deficit. The problems of our world require seeing them through the eyes of others, according to him. Can the social-political crisis of our time be solved by the use of empathy machines? Radically putting oneself in another's shoe as a way of creating a more understanding and accepting environment? And what better way to do this than through the use of first-person player video games? Today, we're going to assess these so-called empathy machines and try to understand their potential for changing the world. From the University of Cambridge and the Centre of Governance and Human Rights, I am Mariam Tanveer, your host for this episode, and this is Declarations. I have with me Alice Horel, a third-year undergraduate student in human, social and political scientist, as a panelist who will help lead this discussion. And the guests today are Karen Shreya, an Associate Professor and Founding Director of the Games and Emerging Media Program at the Marist College and also of Play Innovation Lab. And we have Florent Morin, the creator of The Pixel Hunt, a video game studio with a focus on reality-inspired games. He's also the creator of Bury Me My Love, a critically acclaimed game which puts the player in an interactive WhatsApp fiction following Noor, a Syrian woman traveling to Europe being helped by her husband Majid. Who's still in Syria? This sounds really intriguing and interesting. Can hardly wait for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Over to you, Alice.
2: Sure. First, I'd like to talk to you about your game "Bury Me My Love" and get a better understanding of the inspiration behind it and pre- and what brought you to present the migrant experience in this way.
3: Oh yeah, so. Actually, when I when I decided to create uh, the and as a company, I really wanted to try to talk about the, the world we live in, and uh, I didn't have any specific topic in mind. Uh, I, I just wanted to make, make games that talk about the world, and of course, it was in in twenty thirteen, and uh, the the situation in Syria was all over the news, and uh, a lot of people. Uh, we're talking about it of course and i i i thought it would be interesting to make a game about that but in order to do that it was it was necessary for me to find a way that would feel good and respectful and interesting uh i couldn't find one i i really like i was scratching my head and i really didn't want to make a game that would put you in the shoes of a of a refugee and like you you have your pad in your hand and you you press uh, right and it he goes right and that would feel that felt really odd and alienating to me um, I didn't know how to if I were to tackle this topic I didn't know how to do that and then I bumped into an article on French newspaper Le Monde that was called The Journey of a Syrian Migrant uh, as Told by Her WhatsApp Conversations. And it was about a young uh, woman named Dana and how she decided to leave uh, Syria and to try to reach uh, um, uh, Germany because she had family, she had acquaintances there. Um, and how she kept in touch with her uh, uh Family and more specifically with her mother, who was still living in Damascus, through WhatsApp and through text messages. And so the article was only only that, only text messages, one after the other. And it felt it felt really weird because it felt both very close to my reality. I use WhatsApp all the time, and I I, I send messages to my mom too. And it it also felt completely uh, different from my own reality because like yes they were cracking jokes yes they were asking about soccer results but then two messages later they were talking about uh, which smuggler to trust or where they were going to sleep that night and stuff like that so that was really uh, like uh, super weird to me to feel both very connected to this to this person and completely disconnected to her life experience and i thought to myself this is potentially a frame that would be very, very interesting for for a game, for a non-linear experience. Mm. So I contacted the journalist and the journalist contacted the the young woman and they both agreed to help us. And as as long as we knew that they would be in the team and that they would help us to write a story as, as believable as possible, then we knew that uh, we were probably able to make a, a, an interesting game uh, out of this. So that's when Burning My Love started, actually.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. And what I found particularly interesting about this game was the the, the way that it has all those different endings and all the different ways so that the, the game plays out. Um, and I wanted to talk to you more about that and why you thought that that was such an important part of the game and of the process as a whole?
3: I think it's, in, in, it's important because it, bury My Love is a fiction. It's not only uh, the life of Dana. Uh, of course, we she helped us a lot because she shared her experience with us. She answered all our questions and that was very, very precious for us. But we also decided to create a fictional character that we called Noor and there are things that can happen to Noor in the game that did not happen to Dana in real life. Uh, we we alth- also gathered other testimonies from other migrants, um, either by interviewing with them or by uh, uh, having uh, having them um, uh, talk to us, or by uh, uh, reading newspaper and stuff like that. And just to be just to be completely sure that. Uh, we, we had uh, things that, that felt real, but uh, they were not one single person. So we needed a, a fictional character to be able to allow players to make their own choices and face different uh, possible uh, uh, fates and, and destinations. And, but none of this is completely fake because everything that happens in the game happened to someone who, who told it afterwards, after the fact, mm. uh, not everything happened to Dana, but that's that's the, the cool thing with games is that we, we could create a character that was a vessel for uh, a, a, a big number of testimonies. And when you play it, uh, you experience a, a kind of a compilation of uh, all the different testimonies that we gathered.
2: Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, I wanted to bring Kat in on this to talk about these games more broadly and how, because I know a lot of your research is looking at like empathy machines, the games as empathy machines and what that means for them as a tool for social change. And yeah, I wanted you to talk to us a bit through your findings about this. And also I know you've been doing, you were saying you did a lot about games and civics and how these all play together.
0: Great. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear the perspective of a designer uh, because I think that you're definitely thinking through so many of the kinds of principles that I would recommend a person who wanted to make a game to enhance empathy and compassion um, to do, right? So things like taking on a role, right? Role playing being um inhabiting someone else's perspective and using authentic testimonies and perspectives and uh to really try to do research right you're like that's what you're doing you're researching a moment you're letting us in on the different kinds of voices and the different kinds of even though you don't have maybe like all of these different people's voices you know, in the game, you are creating almost like a quilt out of all of these voices to um, let us understand what that what that experience is like to, you know be um, you know, be in that um, very precarious situation. and and also, you're using narrative, right? You're using storytelling. You're immersing us in a story. And all of those are principles, I would call them, that you might use to enhance empathy and to make people care about your characters, to make people care about um, other people's experiences. And on the other side, uh, you know, so it's really hard to do research on empathy in games. It's uh, it's a really challenging concept to research and to evaluate and to understand like is there really a change in empathy and also like what is empathy (laughs) you know it's like even just defining what empathy is uh I did a, a study with Matthew Farber and we found 49 different articles that mentioned empathy in games not too many not that many But in just those 49 articles, there were 13 different kinds of empathy, even just being mentioned and talked about. And the definitions of empathy were so wide ranging and so diverse, right? And so there's not really even any kind of cohesion in terms of how we would define what empathy is. Um, The way that I might define empathy, for example, is that empathy is about considering other people's feelings, thinking about what other people are going through or experiencing. And and then compassion is sort of that next level of not only thinking about what someone's feeling or feeling what they're feeling, but also taking the next step of actually doing something about it. So taking some kind of action or nurturing them or uh, uh, helping them or aiding them or, or just connecting with them. And so this is really debated, you know, and, and even just like taking a step back, you know, not even thinking about games, empathy just as a concept has been deliberated. You know, is this even something that is, uh, you know, an authentic concept to even measure and, and is it what matters or is it? What we do with it that matters. And so I've been studying this. I've been trying to research this, but it's difficult. and and I as part of that has been I've been designing a virtual reality game uh, with a, a a group of researchers in Lagos, Nigeria, and we're trying to use. VR games to enhance empathy and compassion among different ethnic groups in Nigeria. And so there's over 250 different ethnic groups in Nigeria, and there's still a lot of ethnic tension among them. And just like we've been talking about, we've been doing research on gathering testimonials from different people in Nigeria trying to understand what the experience of discrimination has been among teens and using that to again craft and weave a quilt of experiences, but to put people into one experience that then is authentic and is immersive and helps people to take on the perspective of someone else. And so taking it again into consideration those design principles, now what we're trying to do is to test and assess that to see if it really does enhance empathy and compassion and and also trying to measure it, <laughs> which is such a difficult and again, challenging concept to measure. But hopefully, hopefully we will get some results on that soon.
2: When you say authentic, What really do you, like, how do you make sure that, because I came across this concept of, like, an improper distance that VR, specifically VR, gives players where you have, like, it's simulated that you're in the shoes of someone else or you're you're seeing the world through their eyes. And in some cases, this kind of, like, at least some of the researchers of this, like, very much, like, misses the mark and can do more harm than good by sort of, Collapsing quite a complicated, complex experience into into just a virtual reality
0: space. Yeah, we've been talking about that a lot. Absolutely, and and that there's always a a challenge with that, right? So you could do, like you said, more harm than good. And there's been research both ways, right? So some researchers have found that, you know, for example, there was a VR experience about. Uh, Roma that ended up enhancing empathy and even changed voting behavior, uh, which is amazing. you know on on the one hand that people were more uh, compassionate toward toward others. And then on the other hand, you look at another VR experience where people were playing as someone who is disabled. And while they did have more empathy, they also, in uh, their stigma toward those who are disabled, increased and then they were less likely to reach out and actually do something, um, like become friends or start a conversation with someone who is disabled. And that's, that's problematic. That's doing more harm than good. So it, it's really a fine line to go, to be walking toward, you know, how do we balance All you know, authenticity and and also harm and good. And that I mean that's through testing, right? Testing and testing and testing and making sure that we are hitting that. And we're also on that end trying to understand more about what enhances empathy. So we have three different conditions that we're testing for these games. And we have one condition where players are embodying someone. So we're we're looking specifically at four different ethnic groups in Nigeria. So Hausa, Yoruba, Igbo, and Niger Delta. And for example, if you are someone who is a Yoruba teen, you might be playing as someone who's Hausa, right? And learning what kinds of discrimination they're going through. And again, we've based our construction of this game on testimonials of Nigerian teens and i am the only person on the team who's not nigerian so it is a nigerian voice and and everything that i write and that i construct i'm working with the colleagues at the lagos business school to rewrite and revise that script with a mind toward the cultural re- relevancy uh, you know and and uh you know the understanding that te- you know teams would have right that, that um that authentic voice so you would so we're testing three different conditions one is embodied so you might be a you again a Yoruba teen and you might be embodying someone who's Hausa. and so we're testing that to understand to, is there a change in an empathy and compassion um before and after playing this game and then we also have another condition which is uh, about. Um, observing right so now there's a little more distance right so instead of embodying someone who's house uh, you are observing someone who is house uh, in the game you're not taking on their role but you're observing someone else in the game who is house uh, and the discrimination that they're facing and then we have a third condition and that's called a role model and in that condition there's a role model who's teaching you what you might do what you you might think what you might say how you might act and that teacher or mentor or educator role um, again we're testing that to understand is that enhancing empathy and compassion and so we're trying to understand that you know so that we make sure that we are doing um no harm right that we are doing more good than harm and and to me, that that's that's the only way you can do it because there's many times when you think you're doing something that's helping and you're not, and the only way to find that out is to test.
2: I guess also the only thing you can do is try, right? Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, Flora, I want to know what you thought about, what you think about this, and sort of your um, when you develop games, like are all are. are is it very di- Are all of these things very difficult to navigate when you're developing your games? And are, are there more games that you're developing you're in the process of developing at the moment that are having to tackle these big questions?
3: Well, uh, I found uh, listening to cat absolutely mm, fascinating because um that's probably questions that we didn't ask ourselves too much while doing my Love, because we when we decided to make the that game, we didn't make it as activists or we didn't make it for um, a will to, 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 to like um, trigger change or to influence people or anything. So we, d- we didn't think twice about what the impact on, on people, uh, on players would be because that was not really our uh, primary objective. And I understand completely that people, design some people design games for that primary objective that's what we call games for change right and i completely respect that and i think it's probably it has potential and probably it's really interesting but we, we didn't do that we just like i i approached making this game uh in a way that was fairly similar to the way i approached talking about uh the news when I was a journalist, like this, this is something that uh, got my attention, and I thought this is this is important, and people need to know more about this uh, this 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 moment and this experience, and uh, so now I'm making games, so I'm going to try to tell that story in the form of a game, and not uh, of an article or of, of a video or anything but uh exactly similarly as when i was a journalist i wasn't uh, like thinking about what people will think after reading my article like i had this the same approach with with games but that doesn't mean a that i don't have a point of view on the question and of course my point of view uh, appears in the game uh, because uh, as any author when you do something you you influence uh, what you what you, you what you produce is influenced by who you are, of course, and also it doesn't it doesn't mean that it didn't happen because I have players who came to me and to to explain to me what the impact that uh, playing the game had uh, on them and I have an anecdote about that if you if you if you're interested. Uh, We showed Bury My Love in several events, uh, and one of those events was called uh, IndieCade in Los Angeles. So IndieCade is a festival of independent games, and uh, we were selected as part of the showcase. And so people come for the show, but they don't come for a specific game. They just discover the games when they are here. And there's this guy uh, who arrives uh, and he he asks me what the game is about and i i, I have this very quick elevator pitch that I I, I, I I tell him and he's like i'm from texas and from where i'm from uh, we those kind of people we welcome them with guns not with anything else so pretty like uh, pretty uh, uh pretty uh, at, uh, at least uh, defiant uh Towards uh, immigrants, and I guess as he was living in Texas, uh, there's this specific situation in the United States where people are uh, trying to uh, enter uh, uh, America, uh, the United States from from Mexico. So maybe he was referring to that. I don't know, but I didn't say anything. I said okay, but the game is here. If you like, if you have five minutes and you want to play it, you can. And if you if you don't, you don't have to. I don't. I'm not forcing you. And he he sat there and he played the game for 45 minutes, which is an incredible amount of time when you consider that you're in the middle of a festival and you have like uh, 15 other games to try. And so, but he was just like, he was just into the story. And and so he played for 45 minutes. And I was just, I was, I was taking care of all the other people, but I was also looking at him. And in the end he told me, "Mm, uh, I still think uh, we should be wary of migrants, but still, your game made me think. And I thought to myself, this is this is really an achievement. like this is something I can really be happy with uh, mm-hmm. uh, I won't say proud of because it was, as I mentioned, it wasn't by design. I didn't like make the game to change people's mind. That was not my objective to begin with. But the fact that this guy who was obviously not very welcoming of migrants in general,, mm-hmm. uh, uh, was was open-minded enough to to play the game, and then was interested enough to keep, keep playing it and thinking about it, and maybe maybe it just brought him food for thought. I I thought it was it was great, you know. I thought it was a a good opportunity for the platform that we have as game designer to be used in a way that's that's probably interesting. But what I firmly believe is that. Empathy as a feeling, and I I agree with Kat. I I would be very it would be very complicated for me to define empathy as a single thing. But anyways, what I'm what I'm pretty sure of is that empathy is something that is acquired, uh, like uh, over the course of a lifetime. So I I don't really believe that if you if you're not if you've never been empathetic because you've never been raised that way and you've never. Have been loved enough to be in a comfortable enough position to be able to love other people. I don't believe that one single piece of art, no matter how strong, is going to change you radically, but maybe it's going to be little by little that you are going to be able to evolve. And if the games we make can be little pieces of that change, then that's already something huge, I would say. Wow,
2: that's a really incredible story. I had two questions. the first one I mean it's slightly the first one's quite superficial, but what do you think games have over over your previous work as a journey? like over for example, like writing an article or writing a book because a lot of the criticism about using these games as empathy builders building machines is that is the the that they are inadequate in the face of something like a book where the first person story is told like quite um. unmediated and clearer. Um, Yeah, so that's my first question. What
3: do you think games have? Well, of course, the the most obvious answer to that question would be that games are interactive. Mm. But once you say that, you didn't say a lot, actually, because that that doesn't mean much. What I think is really interesting is that and I, I learned about that as a designer, is that games are designed as conversations rather than discourses. Because when you play a game, you always ask the game questions. What happens if I press right? What happens if I don't jump over that fireball? What happens if I try to reach that mountain that I see in the background? Can I even reach that mountain? And the game designer tried to anticipate all the questions that you can ask as a player, and, br- and bring satisfying answers to those questions. And good games are games that bring the most satisfying answers to the questions that players ask themselves when they play. And so this decided that games are conversations between mm-hmm. the game designer and the player, rather than a discourse written by the game designer and received uh, by uh, players, this is uh, the cornerstone of... What, what can potentially make games uh, really different from the rest. And sometimes it's for the worse, because sometimes it's hard to, to just not, a, not a, a crash uh, in your couch and watch a screen and have nothing to do but focus on what's, what's on the screen or just like turn pages and, and progress in any rhythm you want. But you have to get involved and you have to play and you have also in some games you have to be good or you won't progress. So sometimes it can actually be something that will leave people out of being uh, immersed in the story they are told. But sometimes it can actually get them to focus really, really, really well in the the conversation. And uh, that's the same when you're a teacher. When you try to have a conversation with your with your class. If you're a good teacher, there's a chance that uh, a a student that would have um, uh, slept in the back of the class if you had just made a a, a discourse, would be more interested because there's a conversation and he can ask you questions and you can adapt to to trying to explain what they did not understand. And so games that can do that, probably they can achieve things that no other media can. Mm -hmm. But they they also do things significantly uh, uh, not as well as other media do things. So every media is a different tool. And I think you can achieve different results with every, every media.
2: That's so interesting. I've never heard of games as a conversation before, but that makes so much sense. Kat, I wonder if you had anything to add about that. And also, like, I don't know, making sure that these games... Because you were talking about how like tuning off in front of a screen or tuning out when you read a book and how like a lot of this just happens kind of uh, we consume a lot of this stuff uncritically and unthinkingly and I guess games when trying to tackle such big social questions you're also dealing with the fact that th- the, the games become like a, like a kind of mechanical, almost addictive thing that people play at. And there the, the feels to me something slightly weird uh, playing a game with such big social consequences.
0: Yeah, so I, a lot of what you were saying about why games might be a powerful way to tell a story or to show a slice of life or to be journalistic, I've been talking about in my class this week, actually. One of my classes that I teach is called Ethics and Gaming, and we talk a lot about, obviously, ethics and values, but we also talk about news games and, and why you might make a news game. And so a news game is just, you know, a game that gives us some kind of perspective on current events or issues or topics that are happening in the everyday. And so one of the questions that I ask of my students is, well, why make a game? Why not just write an article? Why not just make a documentary? Why should we make a game rather than something else? And so my students have lots of different answers. They definitely talk about, you know, that it's it's active, that you're making choices. You are taking on a role, possibly, depending on the game. And you're showing, right? You're showing the moment you're you're being able to explore the moment you're playing the moment rather than just reading about it and then something they also always talk about is that you know they don't read the news you know they're like well we don't read the news so playing a game it might be one of the only ways that we would hear about something newsworthy or something that's happening in our current days you know maybe they'll read social media about it they might read see a meme they might watch a comedy show about the news but they may they they're probably not going to be reading an article and so a game would be a way that they would engage with a story or a current issue or event in a way that they probably wouldn't really dig into and so you know, audience really does matter in terms of, you know, even ju- even if the game isn't particularly pretty, you know, because a lot of news games are very raw and they, they there's a reason why they're raw. It's because you need that immediacy, right? The the news issue may not matter in a few years. You don't have a few years to polish your game. You have to maybe do it overnight and get that story out, you know, as as quickly and and uh unpolished as possible um and they they don't necessarily care about that you know they they want to be able to play you know they're used to that as a frame of learning about their world and of engaging and and like you were saying having a conversation with their world they they converse through play right it's not only that they're conversing with the game. They converse around the game, right? They're um, they're having conversations with other people. They might talk about the world and talk about their communities and talk about civics in their game and through their games. And they're they may not be talking about it any other way and and having any other touch points in their lives. But play is at one commonality that they might be um, able to engage in the public sphere and to really be having an impact on the conversations about what matters and how we should change our world. And so one of the things that I write about in my book, We the Gamers, is how games are public spheres. They are communities. They are places where people are having those kinds of civic conversations about the world right to understand you know what our world is and how we might change it and, and what are the steps that we might take to make change and so for example you take a really popular game like fortnite or like roblox right and people are holding protests in these games they are um you know you take a game like animal crossing new horizons and they might be designing an island in in their game that is expressing their perspective on the world. For example, um, PETA, uh, which is the um, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, they were creating protests in in the game about the way that the virtual critters are being uh, handled. So in the game, you are collecting fish and you're Catching bugs and and you're putting some of these creatures into a virtual museum. Obviously, no actual animals are being harmed, but the digital the digital animals are being harmed. I I guess you could make that argument. And so there were even protests about that. So there's almost like this uh, meta conversation inside the game about the game itself. And so all those layers of civic engagement that's happening in games, that's happening around games. And that's, that's exciting. You know, that's exciting to me. I, you know, and I think that we're, we're not seeing all of those amazing conversations, because we're not seeing that games are a really important place for that, right? We're missing out on this strong part of where youth are engaging in civics because we are not taking games as as seriously as, as we should. Why do you think that is? Why do we not take games as seriously as we should? Well, that's a really interesting question. I, I think there's a number of reasons. We frame games as being kids play, right? That it's not part of our everyday circumstance. It's outside of our everyday and it's apart from work, right? So that it's seen as leisure. It's not seen as productive. It's not seen as being, um, contributing to society. It's it's seen as uh, something that is part of a kid's realm, right? The, the realm of youth. And we don't consider our youth as being, you know, part of the public sphere, really. they're They're not seen as that. This is not to say that they, you know, again, youth should be part of our public sphere they should be part of the conversation they have every as much as anybody else reason to be part of deciding how our world should be I want to make that very clear but there is a an idea that that anything that is associated with youth is not serious is not it does not matter does not uh, does not make meaningful change, and it does, it should, and it is. Games are making meaningful change. Games are part of the conversation. They're culture. They are not just part of culture, they are culture. They are making impact beyond just the game. So you take a game, the classic example is a game like Fold It, which is a game that was made by researchers to try to understand how proteins fold, right? So uh, if you just kind of create uh, an algorithm for a, a computer to run through, uh, it could fold a protein, but it doesn't have the ability. So the computer does not have the ability to actually manipulate and to try to figure out how the protein folds. But human beings are actually really good at that because we have that kind of intuitive sense of of, of spatially how things fold. And you put the, the algorithmic ability of... Of a computer with a human being together, you can kind of create this like super superhero <laughs> who can that can really understand how proteins fold. Well, as a result of that game, they've been able to make, for example, medicines related to HIV and to understand better about protein structure. And that's because of a game. So games are productive. I mean, they're directly productive. They're having actual social impact on the world. But they're also impactful in, in the way that they're uh, telling stories playfully and having us relive these moments of of our current issues in our everyday lives and and in the way that we're conversing about our everyday lives and how our world is. And so all of those things, right now are impactful and they should be impactful and we should be seeing games as something that matters.
2: Yeah, definitely,
0: I 100% agree. Um,
2: that was really, really interesting. Um, and I wanted to, to come back either of you two on this, uh, specifically looking at games where, with regard to refugees, um, because obviously, as you were saying, games have this huge power for social change. So there's lots of questions about, like, empathy, games, and refugees. Firstly, I suppose, is empathy, in whatever way we define it, a useful thing? Because often empathy gets you to... People associate closely with people that are similar to them or potentially, like, a very specific kind of plight that they think deserves an empathetic reaction and what I thought was interesting again specifically with refugee games is that a lot of the players there are a few of these games on the market and the refugee that people have chosen to identify with is usually young and usually female and I wondered if that like do, do you think that that choice of presenting a refugee in, in that way has any political weight with regards to empathy and re- with regards to um, the current crisis?
3: In our case, it was not a big, uh, it was not a complicated decision because we uh, the game would not have existed without us meeting Dana, and Dana mm-hmm. is a woman. So uh, we wanted to make a main character in the game that was uh, directly inspired by her, uh, if anything, for the sake of uh, uh, being unable to get things wrong, because we had her testimony, so we knew she existed, we knew uh, how she was, we knew her personality, so we knew that if we were to make a character in the game that would be very, very similar to how she is, who she is in real life, we could not be wrong, because she actually exists, and we met her, so it was, it was kind of a a safety for us and also as we really really liked her as a person we were super ha- happy to do that but you're absolutely right some people and especially some people from the far right who who really like came at us and insulted us they one of their arguments was how uh, oh, you're you're putting a, a woman as a main character to make us cry but the truth is like it's 99.9% males and they are young and they want to rape all women and all this all the xenophobic stuff that you are used to hearing when you hear the far right talk about the game of course they didn't even play the game of course all they they, they were not interested in having a, a conversation about representations in game or in any media they just wanted to discredit the game and the, the one of the the angles that they could take was to say, okay, this, this game as a woman as a main character, which is a lie, uh, just for the sake of us uh, being uh, being uh, emotional. Uh, they're probably paid by George Soros to destroy Europe, and you know, uh, yada, yada yada yada. not very interesting. But but the thing is, they 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 were so ingrained in their uh, locked. Uh, view of the world that they were not ready to consider that the main character was actually inspired from someone that exists. So, so yeah, it, it was it was definitely something that uh, they didn't they didn't want to consider. But uh, I I played other games. Uh, there's this game called Path Out that was made by a, an Austrian game studio together with a, a young uh, Syrian. Uh, refugee who now lives in Austria and so he's a guy and he's the main character of his own game and it's really really it's a it's an amazing game and for instance to begin with you you play as this little guy who tries to flee from Syria and you try to cross the border and you get stopped by border patrol and you get shot in the head and you die and then there's a video and the guy said, oh, you had me killed. You should be more careful next time. No, I'm going to tell you how my story actually happened and how I didn't get killed crossing the border. And then you replay the game and you have to make different choices to fit with what the choices he made to not die. And so he was really, really powerful because he was the stereotypical Syrian migrant, a male, young, and probably someone that's you could feel threatened by if you are if your mind is full of xenophobic uh, representations of the world. And then he was just here making a game about how he almost died crossing the border and just inviting you in his world and wanting to share with you his reality and how he managed to actually arrive to Austria. And I found it super powerful and also super generous of him to be able to to, to be confident enough in himself, to even be ready to make fun of his own traumatic story, just for the sake of reconnecting with Europeans, because of course, Europeans are the main uh, uh, audience for those games, uh, to reconnect with them and to show them that, no, is not this, 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 this bizarre being, Muslim, uh, uh, weird, strange, and and frightening is he's just he's just a 25 years old kid who's able to make fun of himself even though he almost died crossing the Syrian border. And I thought it was really powerful and beautiful. And I'm sorry because I, I talked for too long and I'm, I'm miles away from your question, but, you know, I thought it was worth sharing.
2: <laughs> no, that's great. That's, yeah, no, always worth sharing. That sounds, that's a really lovely story. Um, Kat, do you have anything to add?
0: Yeah I was thinking about what you were saying about the the problem with with empathy right and that you know you're sort of ne- by necessity in a way or or maybe hopefully not by necessity you're othering the person that you're playing as right you it's like in some ways you're connecting with them and you're repairing the distance between you and then on the other hand you're also enhancing the distance because you are Playing as them, and by by saying that you're trying to empathize with them, you're you're saying that there was some distance between you, right? And so that there's that tension that's always there. You know, every time you kind of use the word empathy, um, not you but anyone uses the word empathy, it's there's always this kind of push pull of bringing someone closer and 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 also in a way pushing them away there's a game called Migrant Trail that also tries to show these different perspectives and help you to empathize with someone who is trying to, uh, to, to travel into, uh, another country and, and to, um, you know, under dire circumstances and and what it does, though, that's that's interesting and also problematic. So it's it's almost this both again. That's tension um, between it, it. It shows both sides of it, and sometimes you're not supposed to show both sides. Sometimes there's uh, a problem in showing different sides, and so they. But what they try to do is if they have you know you 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 can play as you can choose which direction you want to go in. Do you want to play as the people who are, you know, uh, under very dire circumstances trying to to um, you know migrate from Mexico into the United States? And you're you've got a, a, a team of people. You're um, you know, you're trying to take what you can. You decide how much food you want to bring, how many how much water. How many medical supplies? It's really similar to Oregon Trail, if anybody's played that before. And then you have to go on this arduous journey and you come across different problems, and some people in your uh, in your group may die, right? And they may not make it across and they and you and you all may get caught um, by border patrol. And then on the other game that you can play, you can also play as the Border Patrol trying to capture the migrants. And for a while, I would think about that game as like being interesting because it showed different perspectives and it allowed the players to, to see what that's like, you know, to play those kind of different kinds of those different kinds of perspectives but um but then you know on upon reflection i think you know that's really problematic right even though you can have a conversation about that game and you can i guess you you know as a as a teacher as an educator you can scaffold that conversation in a way that explores how problematic you know the the other side is um, uh, it's, it's still, I think, giving credence to there being some kind of equity or equality between the two perspectives is, uh, it's, it, I don't know what else to say. It, it, it's highly problematic in it. It, it's, it's saying that there are two sides that are equal and there aren't right. There is a, a side that's completely marginalized that is, you know, trying um, to go through these extremely dire circumstances to migrate to another country because they are going to be killed and they're suffering. and then saying that the the border patrol that are in this privileged position are in the you know they're, they're, they're not the same, right? And so that uh, that I, I find to be actually a very troubling troubling series of games because it it tries to show the different perspectives but I think that it equates them in a way that's really problematic.
2: Yeah. And I guess that's the thing with so many of these um, tools is slightly the wrong word, but like everyone's just trying to navigate them. And there are many ways in which they're going to be used badly. Um, And it's just, I guess, getting, getting a greater awareness about this aspect of games and the various things like you said we're saying cat, that you have to take into account when you're making them so that they don't reproduce really harmful narratives um, but I think we're gonna have to end there. Thank you guys so 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 much. I've really enjoyed um this conversation. It's been really thought provoking and interesting. Um,
3: yeah, so that's for having us it oh, was great, yeah,
2: thank you.
1: that was so insightful thank you so much for this incredible discussion and we now know what a successful game for change needs and how sensitive an operation creating these can be and how complicated thank you Florin, for taking us through the thinking behind your game bury me love fascinating it was so interesting to hear how it described as an extension of storytelling in your journalism and thanks to Kat, it was fascinating to hear about the game development projects that you've been a part of and the findings from your research. I wish you all the best of success in your future research, and I hope you keep on, keep on informing us about your new insights. This has been really good. Thank you. For those listening, if you have any questions or comments, please find us on Twitter via Pod or like us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also check out our website at declarationspod.com where each podcast has a companion piece with more information about each episode and links to additional resources. These packages are put together by our show notes writer, Anthony Sander. A sound editor for this episode was Max Barnell. The communication manager was Ella Retcher, and the executive producer was Tom Kisok and the lead was Andreas Ferraz. For more declarations, please subscribe to our Apple podcast or Spotify. And please do tune in next time for more declarations. All the best. Bye-bye.